0: Okay, so uh, road manual 373 to Gate Lima, make sure there's nothing unusual, and road manual the 231 into uh, 12th Street, and then we're done.
1: Welcome to Hidden Track Stories from BART. I'm Chris Filippi. In this latest edition of our podcast series, we're going to take you behind the scenes of the Operations Control Center. The OCC is the nerve center of the BART system. This is where a dedicated team of problem solvers oversees all of the trains as they shuttle tens of thousands of passengers to their destinations, as well as the infrastructure of the entire system. Public safety and doing everything possible to keep the trains on time are critical concerns. It's a fast-paced environment where collaboration is the key. In this episode, I'll speak with one of the managers of the control center, as well as a train controller who's been with BART for more than two decades speaking with Tony Robinson. He's the manager for the Operation Control Center here at Bard, and we're actually in the OCC right now. And that in and of itself is a treat because a lot of people don't get to come into this facility. So let's start there, Tony. Describe where we're at and what happens here.
0: Well, we are located at the Lake Merritt Station. We work in a level below the station, and it's a pretty large room with a uh, different positions around. It's dark in here. We have a uh, main display board that shows the entire uh, system. And uh, we have um, about three or four different um, uh, stations in the uh, control center. We've got train controller. We've got a uh, communication specialist that provides information to all you passengers. Uh, we've got a position that controls the electrification of the system. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty complex uh, control center.
1: Yeah, there, there's a lot going on here. For me it almost feels like what I would imagine a, a, almost a mix between mission control at NASA and a tower at an airport, like an air traffic control center. Is that kind of a valid comparison?
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, my, my background before I came here in 1996 was as an uh, air traffic controller in the military. I spent 20 years doing that, so I worked in different control centers. And that's pretty much what this is. It's a dark room with uh, different positions and uh, everybody has a uh, responsibility, and when delays occur or emergency occurs, everybody's required to uh, act uh, per the plans.
1: Yeah, so you're monitoring the trains, but you're monitoring a lot more than that as well, is that right?
0: Yeah, my primary, primary job is to uh, monitor the uh, trains. I also need to monitor the um, other positions, the, the maintenance uh, supervisor to see what's happening with the uh, trains, the uh, communication specialist to make sure that they're uh, following any uh, service plans or changes that we're, we're making. Keep an eye on the electrification, so there's a lot of uh, stuff that I'm watching here.
1: Yeah, and one of the things you're watching out for are delays. I mean, nobody likes a delay, but once that happens, you're the guy who comes up with a plan. Talk about how that works.
0: Well, I have to consider the time of day, whether it's a commute or a non-commute, uh, what direction the commute is flowing, and at some point I might have to uh, turn some trains back or... Go around a problem area, a crossing from one track to another, which would which be the start of uh, single tracking that you guys might hear about. Pretty much develop a new service plan and make sure that everybody's on board and our communication specialist is giving you guys all the information about what the service plan is and keeping you aware of what the delay is.
1: Yeah, And I would think, I mean, just for me looking at it from a lay perspective, that your options would be kind of limited. I mean, the track is where the track is. It's not like being in the air where you have all these options, I would think, of where
0: you could put an airplane. Yeah, that we are limited in that sense. Um, you know, we don't have the uh, altitude change or the uh, direction change that we could uh, use for the uh, trains here. It's pretty much uh, one train behind another. Our opportunity uh, to get around a problem area is a crossover from one track to another. Um, and that's pretty much uh, all we can do. We during delays, uh, we not we don't we don't have that opportunity. Uh, we try to keep you aware of the uh, service plan so that you're given the option the option to maybe seek uh, altered transportation if the uh, delay is really uh, a major one. I'm
1: speaking with Tony Robinson. He's a manager at the Operation Control Center. And, you know, Tony, one of the things we talk about quite a bit at BART is how the system is aging. A lot of the infrastructure, decades old, the computer system that controls our trains, no exception to that. Can you talk about that? And, and does that create any special challenges?
0: Well, it does. Uh, we are an aging system that requires a lot of upgrading. Um, a lot of maintenance needs to be done on the track. We we do a, a major portion of our maintenance during uh, non-commute hours when the system is closed and maintenance crews have a short uh, window to go out and uh, make repairs and do uh, preventative maintenance Uh, but the system is aging so much that we have to do this uh, maintenance during revenue periods so at times during non-revenue we'll set up work areas and we might single track so that a crew can go out and, and make these repairs. We sometimes have to incur delays but we also have to keep in mind that this is work that needs to be done, and sometimes we're just forced to take the delays. Yeah,
1: this is a job that carries so much responsibility. I mean, you're watching a, a grid here with all kinds of trains, but really, it's so much more than that. It's the people on the trains. It's a, it's a heavy responsibility. Keeping that in mind, do you think it takes a certain type of person, a certain type of personality to to be well-fitted to this job?
0: Uh, yes, it does. It does. Uh, takes somebody who can work under pressure, um, some heavy multitasking. We've got a pretty uh, intense training program that uh, can last up to a year to uh, almost a year and a half. We're kind of changing our program to see if we can get more people certified. But we've got a dropout rate of about uh, 40% on uh, trainees that uh, can't make it here. Um, It's really a... uh, a fluid, uh, ever-changing environment. So, take somebody who can really, uh, you know, think off off their feet and and uh, come up with uh, solutions quickly.
1: What's it like to work here on a really heavy usage day, say a Giants victory parade, one of our all-time sort of days where you have a half million people in the system? Is it different, and if so, how?
0: You know, there's uh, planned delays and there's unplanned delays. So. When there's uh, events occurring, usually we have a uh, operations plan, so it's a little bit uh, easier to handle those. uh, uh, During um, emergencies that uh, come up out of nowhere, it really can be a really taxing, uh, draining uh, work environment, and um, it could, after an eight-hour shift, sometimes you just want to go home and just uh, go to sleep or toss a beer.
1: (laughs) I bet. What's your favorite part of this job?
0: I think my favorite part of the job is that um, it's ever-changing. Um, you know, One day uh, there might be something that goes wrong in a certain area and you handle it one way. The next day it might, something might go wrong in the same area and you, area and you handle it in a, in a different way. But I think the most uh, interesting part about this job is the fact that uh, every day you can learn something new.
1: You know, one of the neat things about doing an interview like this and being here is you really learn about the inside of BART and how things work. And most of our writers will never see anything like this. If there was something you wanted our writers to know about the OCC, about what happens in this center, what would that be?
0: Oh, I'd like them to know that um, it's a very uh, intense uh, uh, atmosphere to work in and that uh, our main goal is to provide you information about whatever service plan changes that uh, that we're making. Our goal increasingly throughout the last few years has been to make sure that the public is aware of the service changes. So that's my biggest thing is making sure that you guys are aware of, of what's happening with the system.
1: Yeah, you must take a lot of satisfaction out of this. It's it's a big deal.
0: Yeah, I mean there's days like I like for instance when we have major delays and you kind of uh, go home and you, you, you think about uh, what you've done in the evening, and, and sometimes you amaze yourself. Uh, I've got a, I'm, I'm a manager, and I'm watching the uh, entire control center, but I work with a lot of uh, really highly professional uh, workers, and uh, a lot of the thinking and, and um, uh, changes throughout the system are, are made by them.
1: So another thing to consider is just wayside safety and, and the workers that are out there working on the rail and the rules that go into that and the communication that's necessary for that. Can, can you talk about uh, that and what goes into that process?
0: Okay, well, like I was telling you earlier, um, because of the agent system, we have a lot of work that's happening uh, during the periods when trains are operating. So we are really um, working on safety for the workers that are out there doing this work. Um, we have a three-way communication uh Uh, strategy that we use uh, during these periods, and it basically is uh, letting the train operators know about the work area, uh, letting the maintenance crews know about the trains that are approaching the area, and make sure that uh, there's three-way communication between the control center, the train operator, and the maintenance personnel.
1: Yeah, so in that case, there's a reason the trains are slowing down, and it's for safety. It's for the safety of the workers.
0: Yes, uh, anytime we have a uh, wayside, we slow the trains down. That's just a safety strategy that we just have to do for their, their safety. Uh, crews are advised of uh, when trains are, are traversing their areas and also when trains are not operating in the normal uh, uh, flow of traffic for uh, a, a work area, reverse running.
1: Tony, thank you so much for your time with us.
0: Okay, thank you, come on down anytime.
1: That was Tony Robinson, who's one of the managers of the Operations Control Center. Now for part two of our inside look at the nerve center of the BART system. Still here in the operations control center, now I'm speaking with Alan Weinberg, one of the train controllers for BART, and, and you were just sharing some of your background and what brought you to BART. You've been here for 25 years. Tell, tell me a little bit about what brought you here and, and what got you started at BART.
2: I started at BART 26 years ago as a part-time station agent. Uh so I had just been born sick with some medical conditions, and I wanted to... Uh, I was looking for a job with good medical. So I started at BART as a part-time agent, and six months later, I moved to the control center when I saw an opening for a train controller, and I've now been in the control center for 25 years.
1: Yeah, and very interesting that so many of the folks who work in this center, especially train controllers, have that background of being in the Air Force, being in the military, and having that background as a flight controller. It seems like there are a lot of parallels between the two jobs.
2: There are. There are a lot of parallels, a lot of basic skill set, uh, multitasking, situational awareness, flexibility. We also have other control center personnel uh, here that were ex military controllers, comm specs, other ones that were. There's a, a few certified uh, pilots here uh, in the control center. It's that same uh, control center environment command. Uh, an authority type thing. Yeah.
1: Now, a lot of people listening are going to be like, well, wait wait a minute. What is this? We have train operators and now they're train
2: controllers.
1: Well, right. What's the difference there?
2: Uh, they, they call it train controller, but it's like a system controller. We, we talk to the train operators via the radio. We can control to some degree the train speed and the train's uh, direction of travel as far as whether we're going to cross it over, uh, where it's going to go. We, so there are some minimal controls that we have here, but we really are more in place for delay management and strategies in the event of a problem. Yeah.
1: So kind of expand on that. Tell me a little bit about what a typical shift is like for you. What, what are you doing here? I mean, we've got this huge board with all these flashing lights and whatnot on. Right. It seems like a lot to keep track of.
2: It, it, it can be. When we, when we first get on shift, we have a responsibility to check overnight what's changed. Rules and procedures are constantly changing as equipment status has changed. So we'll check in, we'll read current rules and procedures, we'll read about any areas of the system that we might be running at a reduced speed or there's work going on. We usually sit two people at a time. Uh, our commute for us starts at... My shift is 2 in the afternoon till 10 at night. Uh, we're a 24-hour facility. Commute for us starts at 1,600 and it runs till 1,900. So commute for us means... Um, you know, the spotlight's on. The minutes count. more trains on the track, more people we carry, the better. So we're looking at cars. Each train has a length, a minimum length it's supposed to be. I got two hours to start checking train lengths. make sure if a train's short, add another car to it. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be ten, it's only nine. Well, it's a big deal to the 200 people that need to pack onto the same train. So we're constantly looking to build the trains up for commute. And then we're, um, we're gearing up to make sure in that two hours, do we have the personnel in place to do... We manipulate the schedule to provide better service. You'll see trains running that are only going as far as 24th Street. So some people, they're going, hey, this train's only going to 24th Street. Why is it not that going to Daly City or the airport? Well, the ability to turn that train at 24th Street means I've got it back down at Embarcadero 25 to 40 minutes before if I go to the end of the line. So we look at the number of passengers that train carries past 24th Street. Again, you're gonna find a philosophy that used in most of our decisions down here and it's the needs of the many. 80% of the time you might not realize it because you happen to be in the many category. The decisions I'm making to turn trains back are benefiting you, you don't know it. There are times when you are, uh, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the few. There are times when you're on a train that's being turned back and you're you're being forced to get off the train, the best we can do is to give you the knowledge of when the next train is. But we're also, everything funnels into the city. So if you were a train that's getting taken out of service at Lake Merritt, West Oakland, MacArthur, we have to weigh the odds of what's the problem that that train's currently impacting, and is it worth it to take the train through the tube into the city, where due to the age of the system, we don't have as many options if it has a problem. So we're gonna take the train out just because if it does develop a problem, everything funnels into San Francisco. We, the, our ability to correct the problem and come up with strategies is so limited that we minimize your exposure by putting trains that aren't running as well as they should be or have a problem into the loop in that area.
1: I'm speaking with Alan Weinberg, one of the train controllers here in the Operations Control Center, and it would seem like this could be a real pressure cooker. You were just talking about some of the decisions that need to be made. You're, you're worried about scheduling. You're worried about passenger safety, and you have to make decisions in a hurry, it would seem like.
2: You, you, do, you definitely do have to make decisions in a hurry. Uh, you make the best decision that you can at the time. And then you continue to develop the decision as you go. You look at, okay, I've made this decision. I'm doing it. But there's also peripheral impact or collateral damage to other passengers. So you look at how can I minimize that collateral damage? I can move an extra train in that direction to pick them up. You make your decision. You go with it. It's the best decision at the time. And you you stay flexible with it. And and like the manager said, one day you might learn, oh, there's a better way to do that. Those of us that have been here many years, we have... um, we walk around with a, you know, so to say, portfolio that's a few, uh, you know, five, uh, five drawer file cabinet. And we can easily grab portfolios that we've seen and used in the past to implement strategies. And so that's why sometimes things aren't going as fast for a passenger's use because you have to understand we're training new people. I have 25 years for me, 20 years for a lot of people, and many of us are ready to go. So the, sometimes things aren't happening as fast as you might want. Because we're taking the ability to start to train the new train controllers, they're going to be in the chair for the next 20 years. If I made all the decisions, do this, do this, they're not getting the knowledge that they need. So sometimes things aren't happening as fast as you might want, but it's the exposure for the, we're constantly looking to the future. And looking to the future also means training and getting our people down here, you know, up to speed so they can make the decisions too. What would you say
1: is the most challenging aspect of your job?
2: You can't make everybody happy. Uh, everybody, again, for me, it goes back to the needs. You know, sorry, most of my decisions are based on the needs of the many. And uh, but every day, you just have to feel like. Early on, I told myself every day I'm going to go home, just feel like I made a difference, whether how small or how big. And the thing is, you have to you have to realize first and foremost that you have the ability to make a difference. No matter, everybody does here. No matter how small, I can make a difference. And I remember one day I was. My, a friend of a neighbor's told me, oh, my God, I was at, uh, my train got taken out of service at Concord. I was going to Bay Point And, you know, if you're late to pick up your kid at daycare, sometimes it's a dollar a minute. And she says, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this train came out of Concord Yard. They put it in service at Concord, and I was on time. And then I was thinking, oh, my God, it was an, a, a train was taken out of service while I was working. It was a replacement train I brought out of the yard. 99% of the time, those trains just run out of service to Bay Point. But this one day, I said, well, just stop at Concord. And I didn't realize that one decision impacted her immensely. She didn't have to wait. So it was just every day just feel like try to make a difference, whether in whatever little decision you make, you can make a difference with, with someone and try to put the passenger's point of view. Where, where are they being impacted? How can I minimize that? You know, through knowledge, through manipulation of a train, by getting an extra TO. So uh, just every every day, just try to make a little difference. Drive home saying, did you make a difference? You know, some days it's big, some days it's little, but every day you can, you can make a difference.
1: A lot of times there are things going on that are just, they develop and they kind of take a life. Of their own and I'm thinking specifically of some of the protests that we've seen recently where BART ridership has just skyrocketed especially some of the recent weekends we've really seen that talk about what that means for your position and what kind of challenges that can present when all of a sudden there's an influx of writers and sometimes it's not
2: even expected right it's it, for the most part down here it's embraced it's a challenge and we're all of the personality where we enjoy challenges so uh whether it's uh a playoff game or the parades that you talked about earlier. So it's a challenge and it's a puzzle for us. What what can we do? How can we manipulate the system to put the most number of cars through the impacted stations? So, and through a sense of synergy, uh, we all get along, we all strategize, we all come up with good plans. I might have a piece of the puzzle. Another co-worker has another piece. Uh, and it's, you have to think, manipulate it and think outside the box. And we're fortunate enough to have a manager and ACTOs that encourage us, whether you've been here a year or 25 years, that there is there is no bad ideas and that we need to think outside the box. There's a, that's the other thing for me. I've never stopped feeling like I knew everything. I'm always learning. There's new students that have only been here a year, two years, that have taught me things and showed me to look at how to look at something from another angle. And the more angles we can look at a problem, the more solutions we can provide for the passengers. So,
1: One of the questions I always like to ask about the folks who work at BART is for the rider, they're in their own world, they're on the train, they're looking to commute or whatever. They don't necessarily know about what goes on behind the scenes. If there was something that you wanted the BART riders to know about, what happens in here and what you do,
2: what would it be? I think for the most part, if I'm doing my job well, you probably don't have that many concerns or issues but there are times when the decisions i make are going to impact you directly and just because you're being delayed or you're being forced off of a train don't don't think that that translates to we don't care uh, again it's back to the the needs of the many outweigh the few so it's never that we don't care or or you know we don't understand what the passengers are going through we do and sometimes turning back a train is because we're mitigating the possible delay to greater passengers or we're looking at possible your safety. So we, everybody in here cares. They wouldn't be in here doing what we do, and it's a shame that you know, we couldn't find a way somehow to bring some more passengers down here to watch us because it is a synergy, and everything we do is geared towards customer service, passenger on time, and safe delivery of those passengers, and it's about caring. And everybody down here does care. You know.
1: Train controller Alan Weinberg, thank you so much for your time with us.
2: Pleasure. Thank you.
1: And thank you for listening to Hidden Tracks Stories from BART. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and at our official podcast page at BART.gov podcasts.